This is a Soul Fire production. Yo, everybody, welcome back. We're here again. We've got a big show today. Lots of stuff to talk about. We've got Nira Tandon's nomination being pulled for OMB director, I think is what it was. Either way, she sucks, and I'm glad that's over with. Um, (laughs) Cuomo, we're going to talk about a little bit of Cuomo sexual assaults rounds two and three, as well as his apology, of course. Um, Going to talk about Texas and masks. Got to cover that. A little bit of $15 minimum wage conversation. Going to give you an honest history of Dr. Seuss, because that's going to be in a rare supply these days. And we're going to cover Trump's speech from CPAC, which was entertaining, to say the least. Uh, and it's something to think about. We're going to get into, you know what, white supremacy and racism. Because what else is there to talk about? really, at the end of the day. <sighs> so, with all that being said, I hope you're having a beautiful day. hope you're having a great week so far. And if you want to make my week better, if that's what you're something that you think about throughout the day, like, man, I wonder, I wonder what I could do to make Connor's day, week, life, existence more fruitful. Well, I've got a symbiotic relationship to offer you. You can join the the Politically Homeless Patreon community. That's where it's at. I want you engaged in the conversation. I want to do shows based on your questions, on your on your, on your longing desires. That's what I want to do. I want to have you involved in every facet of my daily life. And the best way to do that is to get your happy ass in the premium community, the Politically Homeless Patreon community. The link is in the show notes of this show. All you have to do is click that link. It's going to take you right to the Patreon page. Wham, bam, pick your tier, operative, or deep state, and make it happen. It's a good time in there. It's good people. And as I've said before, we're probably going to turn the the politically homeless community into a violent militia at some point. But until then, we're just having a great time making content together. And that is really what, what today's world is all about. Content is king. Content is our Lord and Savior. And the Politically Homeless Patreon community is your church. Check it out. Link is in the show notes. Oh, man. What a week. What a wild week. A lot has been going on. There's just so my, my head's spinning. There's so much stuff going on. I mean, the mask being pulled from Texas? Whew, I can't wait to talk about that. I cannot wait to talk about that. I think most of you guys know uh, where I'm going to go with it, what's going to happen, but here we are. It seems like, oh, and last week I have a little uh, revision to make on last week's show. Uh, Mr. Potato Head will remain Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head. What will be changing is the overall branding of that sector of their toy creation business to just Potato Head brand, which makes sense because there is a Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head. Um, so that's good. I think that that feels like a nice compromise. That makes sense. I'm with that. Uh, I still think they're leaving a lot of cash on the table, not making Antifa and MAGA potato heads, um, and genitalia for the potato heads. It really, I just, I'm stuck on this. I think it's a, a, a great idea. You can literally have your potato head go through 
a transition. We can normalize that. I mean, that's that's that seems like a great step forward for uh, for the 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 left. But we'll have to settle with just Potato Head brand. The big news, the important things. Anyways, we have so much to cover today. This is this might be a long one, guys. Buckle up, get in for the long haul. I can't wait. I can't wait any longer. It's time for the state of things. Nira, Nira, Nira Tandon. Just a despicable human being. Just a venomous, corrupt, Clintonian that was put in this position because Biden needed to pay the Clintons a favor for whatever they did. His his campaign was better without Hillary Clinton. Let's be let's be honest. But nevertheless, she'll be a part of the administration. And it just won't be as the director of OMB, Office of Management and Budget. So let's go ahead and break this down real quick. Let's see what they have to say about it over on CNN. Statement from President Joe Biden. It says, quote, I have accepted Neera Tandon's request to withdraw her name from nomination uh, for director of Office of Management and Budget. I have the utmost respect for her record of accomplishment, her experience, and her counsel. I look forward to having her serve in a role in my administration. She will bring valuable perspective to the work. I also, Wolf, want to read, I have obtained the letter uh, that Neera Tandon gave to President Biden requesting the withdrawal. And it reads in part, I appreciate how hard you and your team at the White House uh, work to win my confirmation. Unfortunately, it now seems clear there is no path forward to gain confirmation, and I don't, do not want continued consideration for my nomination to be a distraction from your priorities. So a couple of elements there that are important. One, this was a request by Neera Tandon to withdraw her nomination. One of the big questions over the course of the last eight or nine days was if Neera Tandon saw that there was no pathway to 50 votes, would she ask the White House to withdraw her nomination? That is what happened, and I think something clearly occurred to make Neera Tandon decide that there was no pathway to 50 votes at this point. Wolf, as you and Dana know very well, Neera Tandon is no stranger to Washington. She understands the city better than most and certainly understands how vote counts and whip counts work in this town, deciding to withdraw that nomination. And the other key element here, which goes to what White House officials have been saying for the last several days, in President Biden's statement making clear Neera Tandon will have a role in the administration. It will not be a Senate-confirmed role, but because of her experience, because of why President Biden nominated her in the first place, clearly wants her inside the administration and President Biden saying there will be a role for Neera Tandon. Yeah. Well, her having a role is sad and frustrating, but at the end of the day, you got to do what you got to do, and, you know, you got to pay pay the piper. And and that in this circumstance, that's, that's the Clintons, and Neera was positioned to be in the uh, Hillary Clinton administration in 2016, and she's lingered around like the swamp creature that she is. But this is a big win. This is a big win. And Bernie didn't have to stand up for this, and I wish he wouldn't have. I would have called him a cuck if he did uh, stand up or not stand up to this this appointment. But just the, the way that she attacked people on Twitter was second to only Donald Trump. 
Like, she was essentially the Donald Trump of the left when it came to Twitter. I don't even, fuck, fucking not even going to call her the left. She's a, she's a neoconservative, neoliberal piece of work, man. And I'm so glad. I'm so glad. This is one of those things where, where someone like Joe Manchin, I was glad uh, to see him do what he does. And I'm glad that there's a, there's a slim uh, majority in the Senate because of things like this. I mean, she got roasted, roasted by senators, and most of whom she has attacked on Twitter and paid the price for it. You know, Nira, you could have kept your fucking mouth shut, man. You could have kept your mouth shut, but no. You got to be a venomous twat on Twitter, and this is where it gets you. And I'm glad to see this corrupt woman, the founder of the Center for American Progress, <laughs> who loved to attack Bernie Sanders and any conservative. And now she was correct about Ted Cruz having uh, a, a less of a heart than a vampire. I understand that. Oh, but man, the people that she's associated with, the things that they've said, definitely not a unity candidate. And I only play that on this show because I am so happy, so happy that she is gone. All right, Andrew Cuomo is having a rough month. This has been a rough month for Andrew Cuomo. First, we had one woman coming out accusing him of sexual assault, which we brought up on the show. And now we have a second and a third. So let's get these articles up here. Uh, we got a couple different ones uh, highlighting each one of these accusations. So second former aide accuses uh, Governor Andrew Cuomo of sexual harassment. A second woman has accused Governor Andrew Cuomo of sexual harassment, according to a new report. Charlotte Bennett, a 25-year-old former aide to Cuomo, told the New York Times that the governor asked her inappropriate questions, told her he was open to relationships with women in their 20s, and left her feeling like he wanted to sleep with her. Bennett, who works as an executive assistant and health policy advisor, told the Times the interactions took place in the spring as a coronavirus pandemic flared. Cuomo, 63, never made any physical advances. That's good. Uh, still, she described a June meeting in Cuomo's Albany office during which he griped about being lonely during the pandemic and whined that he can't even hug anyone. Cuomo 63 then pressed her, who did I last hug, she said. Uh, she tried to dodge the question, saying she missed hugging her parents. I understood the governor wanted to sleep with me, and I felt horribly uncomfortable and scared. Uh, I was wondering how I was going to get out of it and assumed it was the end of my job. Oh, man. Anyways, so there we go. Now, that's one. Let's move on to the next one here. This is at a wedding. Cuomo accused of unwanted advances at a wedding, asking, can I kiss you? Um, Anna Rush had never met Governor Andrew Cuomo before encountering him at a crowded New York wedding reception in September 2019. Her first impressions were positive enough. The governor was walking around, toasting the da-da-da, whatever. Mr. Cuomo put his hands on Mrs. Rush's lower back, and she said in an interview on Monday, when she, he, when she removed his hand with her own, Ms. Rush recalled, the governor remarked that she seemed aggressive and placed his hands on her cheek. He asked if he could kiss her loudly enough for a friend standing nearby to hear uh, Ms. Rush was bewildered. And da, 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 da. yeah, the governor drew closer. I was so confused and shocked and embarrassed, um, said Miss Rush, whose 
uh, recollection was corroborated by a friend. Contemporaneous text messages and photographs from the event. I turned my head and I didn't have any words in the moment. Now we can chalk a little bit of this up to just him just being a very touchy-feely Italian guy. Um, Whatever, not going to really give Andrew Cuomo the benefit of the doubt here. Not appropriate. Not okay. Not a good look. But uh, he has apologized. Let's get his apology up here real quick. Uh, As you probably know, the Attorney General is doing an independent review, and I will fully cooperate with that review. Now, the lawyers say I shouldn't say anything when you have a pending review until that review is over. I understand that. Uh, I'm a lawyer, too. But I want New Yorkers to hear from me directly on this. First, I fully support a woman's right to come forward. And I think it should be encouraged in every way. I now understand that I acted in a way that made people feel uncomfortable. It was unintentional, and I truly and deeply apologize for it. I feel awful about it, and frankly, I am embarrassed by it. And that's not easy to say, but that's the truth. But this is what I want you to know, and I want you to know this from me directly. I never touched anyone inappropriately. I never touched anyone inappropriately. I never knew at the time that I was making anyone feel uncomfortable. I never knew at the time I was making anyone feel uncomfortable. And I certainly never, ever meant to offend anyone or hurt anyone or cause anyone any pain. That is the last thing I would ever want to do. I ask the people of this state to wait for the facts from the Attorney General's report before forming an opinion. Get the facts, please, before forming an opinion. And the Attorney General is doing that review. I will fully cooperate with it. And then you will have the facts. And make a decision when you know the facts. I also want you to know that I have learned from what has been an incredibly uh, difficult situation for me as well as other people. And I've learned an important lesson. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for whatever pain I caused anyone. I never intended it. Uh, And I will be the better for this experience. Okay, so that's Andrew Cuomo. 
that's where he's at. That's what he's thinking. So my thoughts, this could be way worse. And this is the thing too, is that Tara Reid's allegations against Joe Biden to me are much more egregious than Andrew Cuomo's, right? Like, of course, two different situations, two different people, understandable. Um, we need to wait for due process here. And and I wish I could go in here and roast the guy I did over his handling of the nursing homes. And he's a bully, and he is a classic New York uh, politician. And that's, that's the way he handles himself. Um, but nothing in this seems to be... Uh, leaning towards assault or rape from what I understand. I, there was the kiss on the lips thing, which is inappropriate. Um, we need to wait till all the stuff comes out here. More people are coming forward. I, I, I have to agree with the guy and I, there's something about being consistent with this stuff, right? So the same thing about Brian Callen, um, to a point with Chris D'Elia even, uh, who's actually just recently apologized. Of course, this is a problem. Uh, people in men, men in positions of power have taken advantage of this over and over again. Understandable uh, that this is a source of outrage. But we do need to wait a little bit and just like see what the facts are, see when, when the dust settles, see where we're at with this. That being said, he has so much political influence and power, who knows what strings he's able to pull uh, to, to influence what information does become public and what does not. Um, and when you have a lot of money, power, etc., you know, there can be some backroom deals that can put this whole thing into a different light. So this is a challenging one. It seems to me, based on these, that he was being an inappropriate, overly affectionate, old Italian guy. And when you're in a position of power, you got to be really careful with that kind of stuff. This is not a good look. And right now, there's some uh, polling data showing that if he were to run for a fourth term, I think something like 60-some-odd percent uh, would not want him to run or would not vote for him. So... It's not looking good for his political future. Um, I think this, to be completely honest, is less egregious than the way he handled the nursing home cover-up and the scandals and all of it coming together at the same time. You know, this is somebody who, all those Cuomo-sexuals out there, I, you know who you are. I know who you are, some of you out there, who were praising this guy. And I thought he was doing a good job at the beginning of COVID, too, whenever it was all scary and shit. Um, you know, it's when you get this much attention and this much praise... It goes to your head, and a lot of this stuff happened during COVID. So this is very recent. This isn't some 20-year-old allegation. This is new, um, which does make it a little bit more substantial, and there are some people that are uh, able to corroborate what these people have said, what these women have said. Um, this, is a, this is challenging for him. I have no idea where this is going to go, but it seems to me that Cuomo's uh, political future, and if he was looking at the White House at any point in time, have kind of gone to shit. So that's that, man. I don't know. Don't know what to tell you, Andrew. Shit the bed on this one, bud. And, you know, what are you going to do? Horny-ass old dudes are not popular in 2021. Texas, Texas, Texas. I called this. I have to say, I did call this. <laughs> I said the best that we can hope for is that some big state with actually had that actually has uh, large metropolitan areas and several of them, like Texas, removes all restrictions, opens to 100%, so we can actually see what happens when you don't apply the mask mandates. Now, 
They pulled the trigger. Greg Abbott pulled the trigger just the other day. Uh, I think that will go into effect a week from today, so the following Wednesday on the 10th, um, which is great. That gives the gives businesses a chance to ramp up, move their seats around, get ready, um, restaff, all those kind of fun things. But I wanted to check out these headlines here. This is so fun. So we're going to end up going through this AP article that says Texas becomes biggest U.S. state to lift COVID-19 mask mandate. But let's just look through a few other ones. Here's the independent. Reckless and dangerous Texas governor decision to abandon and COVID safeguards sparks angry backlash. Um, Texas to lift statewide mass mandate despite warnings from public health officials. That's from CBS. From Bloomberg, Texas, lift ma- Texas lifts mass mandates to, despite dire warnings about fourth wave. Over here to CNN, Texas governor lifts mass mandates and allows businesses to open at 100% capacity despite health officials' warnings. These headlines are just insane. Um, Texas become biggest state. That's the same as the other one. No, that's, that's, that's kind of when I look through here, all these headlines were just like this, like super inflammatory, really intense. And I want to get into what he had to say. So there's people that are saying he's not following the science. When you listen to this full speech, we're just going to play a clip of it here. But when you listen to the full speech, um, he does talk about the numbers of people who have been infected, how many people are likely to have been affected based on their data, and how they've reached a point to where they feel they have as close to herd immunity as necessary to open up to 100%. So let's hear what Greg has to say. COVID has not, like, suddenly disappeared. COVID still exists in Texas and the United States and across the globe. But it is clear from the recoveries, from the vaccinations, from the reduced hospitalizations, and from the safe practices that Texans are using, that state mandates are no longer needed. So today, I'm issuing a new executive order that rescinds most of the earlier executive orders. Effective next Wednesday, all businesses of any type are allowed to open 100%. That includes any type of entity in Texas. Also, I am ending the statewide mask mandate. Yelza. Now, despite these changes, remember this. Removing state mandates does not end personal responsibility or the importance of caring for your family members and caring for your friends and caring for others in your community personal vigilance to follow the safe standards is still needed to contain COVID. It's just that now state mandates are no longer needed. To stay safe, Texans should continue continue following medical advice on preventing COVID just as they do on other medical issues. That is exactly how Texans were able to deal with infectious diseases in the, in the past like H1N1. They followed safe practices and they got medical treatment when it was needed. Makes so much sense, doesn't it? Now let's hear what Joe Biden had to say. I hope everybody's realized by now, these masks make a difference. 
Yeah, we, we can't are hear you, bro. On the cusp of being able to fundamentally change the nature of this disease because of the way in which we were able to get vaccines in people's arms. We've been able to move that all the way up to the end of May to have enough for every American to get every adult American to get a shot. And the last thing, the last thing we need is the Neanderthal thinking that Neanderthal in the meantime, thinking. everything's fine, take off your mask, forget it. It still matters. I carry a card to me, I don't have it, I put it on my desk. As of last, as of yesterday, we had lost 511,874 Americans. We're going to lose thousands more. This will not occur. We'll not have everybody vaccinated until sometime in the summer. We have the vaccine to do it. Getting a shot in someone's arm and getting a second shot, you're going to take time. And it's critical, 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 critical that they follow the science. Wash your hands, hot water, do it frequently, wear a mask, and stay socially distanced. And uh, I know you all know that. I wish the heck some of our elected officials knew it. So thank you very much. Okay, so following the science is an interesting thing because there's data to point in all different directions. It just depends on which one you want to follow, right? Fauci is a fear monger and has a financial stake in uh, vaccines. So he's going to lean one direction clearly because follow the money. Uh, but there's a lot of other people that talk about how we've, places like Texas, if you if you look at the real infection rates, has reached a place where they're, this is a responsible thing to do. Now, the funny thing is uh, your position on the list of states that will end mass mandates is directly correlate with whether or not that state is run by Democrats or Republicans. Like in Colorado, which we have a far lower rate per 100,000 of infections. I think it's 0.16 per 100,000 uh, of infections in the last week. We have that rate, whereas Texas was at about a 0.5 per 100,000. Um, but still, we're going to keep wearing these fucking masks wherever we go because our governor's a bitch. So that's the way we are. That's how it's going to be. And it's really frustrating that these other states are going to open up. They're going to see the economy set back up. People are going to be back to work. Uh, mental health is going to, I would assume, is going to improve. And all the while, you have Joe Biden here calling people Neanderthals, which I find deeply insensitive and culturally inappropriate. And I want to share you something with you right now about, uh, you know, from our dear friend, Randy Marsh, who is 2.8% Neanderthal and hear what he has to say about, uh, people objectifying Neanderthals. And you might be interested to know that you're actually 2.8% Neanderthal, which is fairly high. Neanderthal? What the hell is that about? Well, the Neanderthals were actually a species that was wiped out by homo sapiens. Wiped out? All of my people? Yes, but you see, because of some crossbreeding, some people like you still possess Neanderthal DNA. Isn't that interesting? Crossbreeding? You mean rape. <laughs> You're telling me that my ancestors were raped and then eradicated by you... You maniacs! The Earth wasn't big enough for Neanderthals, so your ancestors just got rid of them, huh? What the hell with all of you? And Joe Biden is officially canceled. Uh, so yeah, this is an interesting situation and I really like where this is going. Of course, Mississippi jumped on the coattails of Texas as well and ended their mass mandates. Um, I love this. I think this is great and it puts pressure. It puts pressure on other states when you have, I mean, you have kind of irrelevant states like South Dakota, sorry, South Dakota, but like you aren't, 
leading leading culturally um, that that really haven't had an effective mask mandates in my hometown in Texas, Graham, Texas. Uh, there wasn't ever really like a mask mandate. It wasn't really enforced. It was kind of a do it. It's Texas is a fucking rep- rep- personal responsibility state, right? And at the end of the day, do what you feel is best for you. Oh, it's like, oh, but you're not keeping anybody else safe. It's not my fucking responsibility to keep anybody else safe. It's not my responsibility, okay? I don't drive drunk. I wear a fucking seatbelt. I get it. I understand. To a li- to a point. But I want that fucking thing off of my goddamn face. Okay? The, the, like, the, if you look at the case numbers, the places that have the strictest mandates in California and New York have the worst rates of COVID. The worst. And there's a lot of places where this shit just doesn't make that much sense. But we're so up on our fucking high horses about uh, these in, in metropolitan areas about how fucking smart we are that we need to project that onto everybody else in the fucking world. When people in rural areas are rolling their eyes and you're losing any semblance of fucking uh, acceptability within people that don't just fucking jerk off to, to, to neoliberal ideas. Like, this is becoming incredibly obnoxious. Two weeks to flatten the curve was a fucking year ago. We've been lied to enough time. People expect us to respect these people, to trust these people. Like when you look at Anthony Fauci's history, it's like, why would anybody trust that guy? He's a fear mongering motherfucker. He had us all scared. Were you scared about getting AIDS when you were a kid? Were you terrified of AIDS as if you were heterosexual? I sure as hell was. I was terrified of AIDS. But you know what the odds of me getting AIDS were? Like one in a fucking billion. But that was the product of Anthony Fauci doing Anthony Fauci does. He is a fear monger, and he's also heavily invested in, in the solutions to the problems he creates. He doesn't deserve your trust. I'm sorry. If that upsets you, unfollow me. I don't give a fuck. But it, it is what it is. And there are lots of people with lots of different opinions. And what we can do with this, instead of criticizing Texas and, 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 and shaming them for doing something different, is say, okay, cool. Now we're going to see what it looks like in the next couple of months there. Use that data. Make common sense decisions. If there's not some crazy spike of COVID in the next month, then we know it's probably safe for everybody to follow along. And I'm really proud of Texas for being the leader in this. This needed to happen. It's about fucking time. And I'm so stoked that Greg Abbott was able to stand up. And so many of my friends in Texas are so excited for this. This is good. I like this. And, and the rate of mask usage in Texas was so much different, right? If you, if you follow me on social media, you've seen me rant. Like, I understand masks in grocery stores and coffee shops and whatever. I get it. Restaurants and bars, that seems kind of stupid because you're just sitting next to each other any fucking way. But whatever. But wearing a mask in the gym is going to drive me insane. It falls off all the time. I'm breathing into it. Then I'm touching it. Then I'm touching other stuff. Like, what are we doing here? It makes no sense. There's actually a study out of Colorado showing that gyms don't contribute to the spread of COVID. And now we've got anybody who, who thinks, and not, not only are you calling Texas Neanderthal thinking, anybody who's over the mass thing doesn't think the mass thing is that valid and doesn't see the benefit in it. You're calling all those people people Neanderthals while you say unity in the next breath. Now, I voted for this motherfucker, okay? I get it, and I have my own reasons, which I've laid out on this show. But we have to give the states the right to do what they think is best for their state. And the vast majority of Texas never really followed the rules any damn way. That's not the way that Texas rolls. 
And there's no sense in following the California model. So states need to be able to do their own thing, operate in what is best for the citizens of that state, economically, health-wise. That's important. It's important for people to feel heard. Because right now, people don't feel heard by their elected officials. In Texas, they might. But in the country as a whole, absolutely not. Absolutely not. It's hard to talk about democracy when democracy led to what happened in Texas. And then you call them stupid. Poor form. Poor form, Joe Biden. We'll see what Kamala has to say about it, but... She's got the, her hand so far up the, the, my governor's ass that uh, <laughs> I don't see that going anywhere. It's crazy. Crazy stuff. But I'm excited for him. I'm excited for you guys. Proud of Texas. Congratulations. Uh, thanks for being leaders. And I uh, hope I didn't upset anybody, but I'm sure I will. And I did. And if that's the case, keep wearing your fucking mask. I don't care. Well, hello, non-Patreon listener. It's time for a quick ad. And usually I'd say, man, it sucks that you have to listen to these ads. But the thing about it is, this product is actually one of my favorites that I've ever read an ad for in the history of my life. It is called Element, and it's from Elemental Labs. It is an electrolyte and salt drink mix developed by Rob Wolf and a few other really smart people. Now, if you're into like working out, sweating, hunting the backcountry, fasting, carnivore, keto, any of that kind of stuff, any, even paleo diets. One of the hardest things to deal with is maintaining electrolytes. They need to be bioavailable. They need to taste good. And at the end of the day, you're probably not drinking enough water either. That's why Element is the tits. I absolutely love this stuff. I drink it every day. I drink it during the show a lot of the times. And sometimes I drink it at night because they have this chocolate salt flavor that you mix with a little bit of hot water, maybe just a splash of almond milk. And it tastes like hot chocolate, but better, like a more grown-up version, a little more savory. And you know, you know I like it savory. Check it out, y'all. If you go to drinkelement, D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T dot com slash wanders, you can get a sample pack, eight packets, a variety pack for $5, and that's just covering shipping. So the package is actually free, but, you know, they're not going to cover your shipping for you, so you got to take care of that. But that's not really enough. That's not enough. The eight packs, you're going to love it. So what I recommend you do is get a package of the Lemon Habanero. Lemon Habanero is the absolute jam. It is my favorite. I run out of it all the time because I drink it all day long. It's probably a pro- I probably over- I'm probably, I'm going to overdose on Element, maybe. If you can, I will find a way to do it. But after the sauna, oh, mix it up in a little bit of cool water and when it hits your lips, there's just nothing like that. It's like, you know that feeling when you're really thirsty and you drink water and it's like soaking into your body from the inside? That's how Element feels all the time. All the time. It is the best. The link is in the show notes. Don't have to pause the show. You don't have to stop anything that you're doing. You can just scroll down. Boom. Hit that link. Drinkelement.com slash wanders. Get your variety pack for five bucks. Just cover the shipping. Grab a pack of chocolate salt if you're into sweets and you want to curve some cravings at the end of the day. Get that lemon habanero if you just want a little spicy kick of goodness that will just, it'll make you want to drink more water. And you're not drinking enough water. You're drinking coffee all the time. I don't know what you're doing over there. But I do know 
that you need element, and I've got the hookup. I'm the guy who knows a guy. Drink element, D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T dot com slash wanders. Link is in the show notes. Do it. Support the show. Support, 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 support the show. Support your hydration and stay moist. Josh Hawley and Bernie Sanders are coming together, backing a corporate tax to get $15 minimum Wage. Now, they weren't able to get the minimum, the $15 minimum wage, uh, the national $15 minimum wage through budget reconciliation, which I'm actually okay with. Uh, I'm not really sold on the whole $15 minimum wage nationally idea. I'm actually wish it was something like maybe around 11 or 12. Um, but I really like the idea of billion dollar companies paying a $15 minimum wage. And I think that would create some competition uh, with smaller, smaller businesses, of course. But uh, I think there's a quality of life trade off there that uh, is is appropriate. So Senator Josh Hawley, this is from the Hill. Senator Josh Hawley on Friday announced a plan to tax big companies that don't pay their workers at least $15 per hour. An alternative minimum wage approach also put forth by Senate Budget Committee Chairman Bernie Sanders, the Senate Finance Committee Chairman Ron Wolin or Wyden, excuse me. For decades, the wages of everyday Americans, working Americans have remained stagnant while monopoly corporations have consolidated industry after industry securing record profits for CEOs and investment bankers, Holly said in a statement. Mega corporations can afford to pay their workers $15 an hour, and it's long past time to do so. But this should not come at the expense of small businesses that are already struggling to make it. And I agree with that 100%. Right now is not the time for $15 minimum wage because small businesses have already been fucking hammered over the past year because of, you know, the virus. Um, Progressive Democrats pushing for a $15 minimum wage suffered a blow Thursday night when the Senate parliamentarian Elizabeth Mc. Donahoe, Donahue, excuse me, ruled that the policy could not be included in the budget re- reconciliation process. Democrats hope to pass the wage as a part of the $1.9 trillion COVID-19 relief package using the reconciliation process that only requires a simple majority to pass the Senate. Don't think that was appropriate. Again, not the right time. But they, people have been pushing for this for a long time, and we haven't seen a, a raise in the minimum wage in something like 20-some-odd years. Uh, Sandard flayed the opinion and said he would work on an amendment to tax big, profitable companies paying below $15 an hour. That amendment must be included in this reconciliation bill, he said. The details of the various plans do not align, particularly particularly elements that would subsidize wages for small companies. And that was part of the bill was that there was was small companies – that we needed that weren't able to pay $15 at the government would then subsidize them, which I actually don't think is a terrible idea given the fact that the government subsidizes the fuck out of Walmart employees, uh, which is just disgusting to me. I fucking hate Walmart. Um, <laughs> but it's not the first time Holly and Sanders find themselves supporting similar goals. Last year, the two teamed up on legislation to increase COVID-19 stimulus payments from 600 to 2000. Um, President Trump uh, you know, endorse the approach, yada, yada, yada. Okay. So thoughts here. I like this, this approach to minimum wage a, a, as far as making it a company by company, um, regulation versus a blanket $15 minimum wage due to the cost of living, uh, disparity between or the the gap between cost of living in rural areas versus inner cities and and uh, metropolitan areas it's just that gap has grown so much so much i think you know rent in my like hometown is 
three or four hundred dollars a month, five hundred, maybe six hundred dollars a month for like a one bedroom apartment. Whereas if you go to Austin, that's eighteen hundred dollars for the same square footage. It's just not this. It's not apples to apples, and there needs to be that needs to be considered in these bills. Now, I would say a fifteen dollar minimum wage in a place like uh, Denver or Austin you're going to have a hard time getting by without roommates and things like that. If you have children, that's going to be really rough. $15 away, $15 minimum wage in some place like Graham, Texas, where I'm from, you can do okay. You can, you can, you can take care of your family uh, on that, especially if you're in a two income household. So, there's a lot to be considered here, but when we think about this, I like this approach much better. I like Walmart being forced to pay $15 minimum wage. Uh, Amazon's already done it. Costco increased their minimum wage to $16. There are these highly profitable companies, and one of the reasons I pick on Walmart so much is because I feel like they move into these rural areas, which is what Sam Walton built his business model on, was, was bringing easily accessible goods to rural areas. And they've kind of continued that, right? You don't see very many Walmarts like in downtown downtown areas. You'll see maybe a Target or something, uh, but not a lot of Walmarts. But if you go to any other small town outside of a metropolitan area, a Walmart is going to be the center of their economy, which makes sense. It's It sucks. It, I, I feel like it, it my, and I keep bringing up my hometown because I live in this like cute, or I used to live in this like cute little rural town. Um, and Walmart just, it made it gross. Like it brought this level of like, ugh. like there was, of course it, it employed people, but it was like the things that came along with it. Um, it just ruined the nostalgia of this really cool town that I feel like I grew up in. Like the little small sporting goods store, of course, went out of business immediately. Uh, the jewelry store went out of business. Like there's all these little, little family mom and pop shops all went out of business to seem like within a year after getting that super Walmart. And then a few other things pop up and it's like, ends up being like a shitty strip mall next to a Walmart. And it, it just sucks. It sucks so bad. Even the, the United grocery stores then sold out to Albertsons uh, just to stay afloat and, and decrease their cost of, of buying goods. So there was a lot of things that had to happen there. And that's given this, putting this poor taste in my mouth. And the fact that they just, just suck wealth out of these out of these rural communities, and it's mostly from from people that don't make a lot of money that need uh, lower cost groceries and things like that. And that money, you can say it kind of goes back into the economy of that city, but I just can't, or that town really. I can't see. I don't see that. I see a company making billions and billions and hundreds of billions of dollars. Right? They've increased their wealth. The Walton family has by fifty billion since COVID started. They didn't ever have to shut down during during COVID. Like that wasn't a thing, right? But mom and pop shops did. And I'm just such a, 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 a defender of small business. I think small business gives cities and towns the character. And it, it gives people upward mobility and it gives people autonomy in the way that they want to run their business. And I, I and I know that in the in the internet era, right, and what we do, like I would never think of opening a brick and mortar store um, in this time. Uh, but I'm you know, well-versed in online media and shit like that. So it makes sense for me, but I, I think that little boutiques and, and, and things like that deserve a chance to thrive. Little beauty salons and things like that deserve a chance to thrive. And when you have this kind of uh, city center of Walmart with like, what's that shitty, um, like good cuts or great cuts or whatever the fuck it's like in Walmart, like all of those things come at the cost of somebody, uh, somebody else's business. And, if they're going to do that, if they're going to just bend over small towns and fuck the shit out of them, then I think they should at least have to pay a living wage. And I have family members that work at Walmart that, that are higher ups and in, in, in whatever managers or some shit at Walmart. And do I respect them for their career? 
Not really. I just can't do it. I can't get behind it. I'm glad they have a job and they do their thing. But at the end of the day, their health benefits are shit and they work on Christmas Day. It's like, it's awful. And this is service of, of, of consumerism in that way. It's like, dude, if you need to charge 15 more cents per gallon of tide you share, you sell, well, then that's fine. Okay. I, I don't, I don't care that much, but the, the fact that this, it's like a vacuum of sucking money out of small towns and putting it right into the estates of the Walton family just grosses me the fuck out. I cannot get with it. And there's a lot of companies that do things like that. A lot of companies that do things like that. And it's really, really frustrating and hard to watch because it's bringing down the quality of life in these small towns. And then those people go to vote for someone that's not even in their best interest, right? Those are the people that are disenfranchised and then love Trump. And that's an interesting dynamic to see, right? Who then gives tax cuts to the very people who brought down the quality of life in those people's hometowns but they still worship the guy. I don't understand it. It's a weird situation. I like this approach a lot. I would love to see this. Um, profitable billion-dollar companies, like, pay your fucking workers. Um, I actually had a guy named Dan Price on my podcast a couple years ago, and he had just raised, it was right whenever, right before Amazon, he was putting a lot of pressure on Amazon um, to raise their minimum wage to $15, and he had just raised the minimum salary within his tech company to 60,000 and took a massive pay cut to do that. Of course, he's a tech uh, millionaire. So he was able to figure it out. I'm sure (laughs) living on capital gains or whatever, but it didn't seem like the quality of his life had had been brought down at all. Super rad guy. And you'll see him out there a lot um, floating around, but um, I thought that was a bold move. I thought that was a bold move and, and companies will show that this is not decrease employment you know, this may decrease wages for the C-suite. Uh, it may decrease a little bit for the, the shareholders. But at the end of the day, who really gives a fuck? Because the shareholders aren't the employees of Walmart, generally speaking. So when we look at this whole thing, I love it. I'm into it. Shouts to Josh Hawley. Of course, I'm a Bernie bro, so love the guy. Love what they're about. And Josh Hawley, I think, and I hope, is the future of the Republican Party. I hope people like him who will stand up for stimulus payments and minimum wage and look at the unfairness that has transpired in our world today and the massive amount of income inequality that is that is leading to things like socialism becoming more popular and people, you know, teens calling themselves Maoists and shit. That's, the Republicans need to get their shit together, right? Trump has distracted everybody from what those people stand for with his rhetoric and the way he, the way he conducts himself. And the, the Republican Party needs to move forward. And that may mean moving a little bit left on, uh, on social issues. And that may mean focusing on things like the income inequality in this country and providing real solutions to not that, not some fucking Reagan-era trickle-down economics bullshit that it's proven not to work. I would like to hear some conservative come out and talk about trickle-up economics. Right, like if you have if you have enough people in the middle and working class that can spend money, that's a more robust economic system than having the top one percent having eighty percent of the wealth or some crazy shit. It's insane, and generational generational wealth is a part of that as well. There's so many different components to this, and it's going to take conservatives to stand up and bring forward real solutions, because we've seen what the Democrats do economically, and it's not beneficial. You know, and now there are some things and and I understand that, but 
there's a balance there, but I think it's going to take a, a strong-willed, outspoken conservative to break from and challenge Donald Trump to move that party forward. Now, it might be political suicide. It's very risky, but I would love, love, love to see it, and I'm proud of both of these men uh, for making this happen. So the question of the week is, is Dr. Seuss racist? And it's actually a more complicated uh, question to answer than you might think. So we're going to show just a clip of kind of what's going around right now. Uh, this is from CBS News, talking about the six books that will be discontinued going forward. And this was done by the publisher, by the family of Dr. Seuss. Um, this isn't out of any kind of public outcry. They just consulted with some people about some problematic imaging and decided not to produce those books any longer. The ones that are still out there are going to be out there. I think he sold like 450 million books or something crazy like that. So they're still around. Don't worry, you can find them on Amazon right now. They are $1,600. I bought a bunch of Dr. Seuss books today uh, in anticipation for what could happen. But I wanted you guys to see this, and I want to break down some history of Theodore and what he was about and how he, how he put that out there in the world. Today is Read Across America Day. It's a date originally chosen to honor the birthday of Dr. Seuss. But tonight, mentions of the late children's author have been removed from many of this year's celebrations. And his publisher says it will no longer sell several of his books after concerns were raised about his portrayals of race. We get more now from CBS's Adriana Diaz. Tonight, six of Dr. Seuss's books, including And to Think That I Saw It on Mulberry Street and If I Ran the Zoo, will no longer be published. Dr. Seuss Enterprises said these books portray people in ways that are hurtful and wrong after consulting with a panel of scholars and educators. Theodore Seuss Geisel wrote and illustrated more than 45 children's books. Six contained racist stereotypes like this 1937 image described as Chinaman with a cone-shaped hat, long pigtail, and chopsticks. He's the only person drawn in yellow. In 1978, he removed the yellow and renamed him Chinese Man. He also caricatured Arabs and Africans, but promoted equality in works like The Sneetches. Philip Nell wrote three books on Dr. Seuss. I think he's like a lot of white people, in whom I include myself, um, you know, who just isn't fully aware of how racism has shaped his own imagination. I think the fact that he's trying to be anti-racist and is racist at the same time is unusual. I had no idea that it was this bad. Katia Montel wrote about reading the books to her children for the Nashville Public Library. Do you think this is something that should make people not read his books? I definitely don't think this should put him on the outs as far as people reading his books. It still can be used as a teaching tool to have those hard conversations with children. A teaching tool about stereotypes. Adriana Diaz, CBS News. All right, so that's kind of the, the mainstream narrative there. Now let's get a little deeper into this. So I spent... <laughs> a substantial part of my day uh, researching Dr. Seuss. I actually have this copy of The Cat in the Hat to keep in my uh, studio. Dr. Seuss and just the creativity that that man was able to put on a paper uh, for children specifically, he's a bit of an idol of mine. And I want to look at this from a different perspective and understand that what he did um, was done in the 20s, 30s, and 40s uh, for most of the stuff that they're considering extremely racist. What else was going on during that time? World War II. Okay, so we have to keep all of this in mind as we go forward. 
All right. And, and doing a lot of research. And again, I bought some books and he did a lot of political cartoons for uh, World War II. But the dude was also a very outspoken advocate um, and supporter of FDR to the point that his father and him had a falling out over his support for FDR. And he called he spoke truth to power in a big way. And a lot of his political cartoons and things we're gonna, I'm going to show you here in just a bit were anti-fascist. But that's the thing. The dude was practically an anti-fascist socialist who is now being canceled. Now, there are some things that are problematic, and I wanted to pull up one of the most problematic ones right here. So here is a a, uh, a little cartoon, hand-drawn, hand-painted, and it shows a few different things, right? Here's a guy with a net catching flies for your ointment. Uh, and here's a one that shows um, monkey wrenches you can throw in your machinery. Uh, here's one about needles and haystacks. And here's one who says, take home a high-grade inward for your uh, wood pile. Now, you may think, what 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 the hell is that all about? And you see a very uh, black-faced, characteristic black people here. This is not okay. Okay, let's just... This wasn't okay then, not okay now. And there is some context that I feel like is necessary. This was this was created uh, June 1st, 1929 in an issue of Judge Magazine. So that phrase, inward in the woodpile, has to do with something being s- suspicious. Um, it's a catchphrase, just the same as a fly in your ointment or a wrench in your gears or a needle in a haystack. Um, at the time, that was in reference to slaves hiding in uh, wood piles um, in trucks and on trains to escape slavery and head north. Um, so that's where that whole thing came from. Again, this isn't okay, but you need you needed to put historical context on that and understand that inward in a wood pile was a common phrase used, which says a lot about how far we've come as a society from that being a normal daily phrase for many people. Now, when we look here, here's another political cartoon that's more uh, geared towards World War II, and it talks about black labor and white labor. It has a, uh, a piano here, and it has Uncle Sam saying, listen, maestro, if you want to get real harmony, use the black keys as well as the white. And the guy playing the piano is labeled the war industry. Great uh, political cartoon here talking about how the white and black people should both work in the war effort against Nazis. Again, most of what this man was about in that time was anti-fascism, which is why... Asian people, people of Asian descent were depicted in a certain way in a lot of his works. And there were some very racist political cartoons. Let's also keep in mind that there were Japanese people in internment camps in the United States at that time. Okay. So much historical context. So if you look at this book and I bought this book today, I'm very excited to get it. It's called Dr. Seuss goes to war, the world war II editorial cartoons from Theodore Zeus Geisel. That's his real name. Um, now, if we go down here and we just look at some of these cartoons, uh, we have a lot of anti-Hitler cartoons. There's a lot of cartoons uh, p- promoting people to buy war bonds and things like that. Um, and we get down here. He was really against – there was this journalist, this Nazi fascist journalist um, that, that he railed against pretty hard in a lot of his cartoons. But what he said in the PM – is and this is a quote from him himself here. It says, We are against people who push other people around just for the fun of pushing, whether they flourish in this country or abroad. We are against fraud and deceit and greed and cruelty, and we seek to expose their practitioners. We are for people who are kindly and courageous and honest. We propose to applaud those who seek constructively to improve the way men live together. We are Americans and we prefer democracy in any form of government. Or again, 
The fascist philosophy represents a live threat to everything we believe in, beginning with the democratic way of life. We do not we do not believe either the study or the works of Karl Marx or membership in the Communist Party in is in America is anti-social. So there's a lot there, right? This guy was incredibly left-leaning, an original and an OG anti-fascist, okay? And there's a lot to be said for that. Now, what did he, his cartoons, of course, many of them are racist, especially against Japanese people. And at the time, if you look at the propaganda of the time, most of it was incredibly racist. I looked a lot into it, and it's, it's astonishing to see what the common narrative was at the time. That being said, I'm going to try and snag those books that are discontinued because I would like to have a copy of each one of them in my house. And do I think that Dr. Seuss was... A, a racist communist. <laughs> like, this is the weirdest situation that we're in when you had the most progressive president of the time that he supported and outspokenly supported and was an, kind of a, he was an anti-fascist at the end of the day. And we have to put things in historical context. Does that mean that his blackface portrayals of black people are not problematic? Of course it doesn't mean that. Does... At the end, sometimes you have to look at it as a cartoon, though. You have to look at the books. They're cartoons. And I respect the family's choice to discontinue these, whatever they want to do, whatever they think is best. But be careful when you come to villainizing someone like this. That's the biggest thing. This is the 20s, the 30s, the 40s. We have to think about things through the historical lens, and we've done this. This has become such a common fucking thing that we've done over the past year especially, but the past several, is we don't put things in historical context. Was the dude racist? I'm sure he was, as were most people in the fucking 20s. Okay? He was also an anti-prohibitionist because his family owned a brewery, and it got shuttered because of prohibition. Like... If you think that that guy wouldn't have, if he, if he popped up today, if you put Theodore Zeus Geisel, reset the clock, had him reborn today, he would be a progressive ass motherfucker. And he would be ashamed of himself, I'm sure of it. But the dude is a cultural icon. Okay, and Read Across America Day has been distancing themselves from his works for a while because of these stereotypes. And I understand that, that stereotypes can be hurtful, stereotypes can also be very fun depending on how you use them. And I can pick this hill to die on, I guess, if I want to, but this Dr. Seuss piece, and, and also, while we're doing this here, these conservatives complaining about cancel culture and Dr. Seuss being canceled are manipulating you, okay? It's a great thing for clicks. It's a great thing for retweets. It's the family decided to do it. They can do whatever the fuck they want, and I don't really give a shit what Ben Shapiro has to say about it. I don't want to hear Ben Shapiro crying. The books are still out there. He's got the money. He can buy the discontinued ones for $1,600. Okay? I will not let this tarnish Dr. Seuss for me. Again, kind of an icon of mine. Someone I respect and appreciate a lot, and I don't say that about many people at all. And now, even doing more research, I'm even more fascinated with the man. We have to keep in mind the historical context, okay? We just have to keep that in mind. We have to view it through the filter of historical context. And what was happening with Japan at that time was they were allies with the Nazis. Does that mean it, that holds true to today? Absolutely not. Japan is a beautiful country. I would love to visit Japan. 
But in that time, in World War II, there were literally Japanese people in internment camps on American soil. Things were not fucking good. Truman dropped two atomic bombs, which I don't agree with. I don't agree with that. And I wish he wouldn't have won the vice presidential election with FDR, which was a super corrupt situation. But anyways, what we did in that war was atrocious. So much bad happened at that time. And that needs to be kept in mind when you think about the portrayal of Japanese people or Asians in general in cartoons of the time. Because that was the time when Japan was flying planes into warships in Pearl Harbor as well. All of this needs to be considered. Okay? And I wanted to give a little history lesson here. I highly recommend you go check out this Dr. Seuss Goes to War book. Grab it on Amazon. It's 20 bucks. The paperback, you can get it brand new. I'm excited to get into it. I'm excited to read. Again, I respect the family's decision who runs the Dr. Seuss organization now and publisher. I respect their decision to, to, to discontinue these books. They feel like that's the most appropriate thing to do. And again, they knew him more than we do. His children and grandchildren and probably great-grandchildren by this point know more about him than we do and know what he would have wanted. So to project all of your shit and, and cry cancel culture, Dr. Seuss is not canceled. Even the woman in the video on CBS said that shouldn't discourage people from, from reading his works. He's an icon. He's a hero in a lot of ways. I wonder how much, how big of an impact he's had on, on, on children's literacy because he wrote his books using only words that a third grader could read. And that's amazing. He made up the word nerd. You wouldn't have the word nerd without Dr. Seuss. He made that word up to make a rhyme work. That's amazing. And, and, and don't let this, just don't let this tarnish the man's reputation. I just can't, I just cannot see that being a fair way to go about this. We have to look at it through the historical context. We also have to understand that his family made the decision that they made and they knew the man. I didn't know him. You didn't know him. Ben Shapiro didn't know him. Steven Crowder didn't know him. Anybody's crying. Tommy Loren didn't know him. But they want retweets. They want clicks, just like I do. I hope this video gets lots of clicks, <laughs> lots of views. I'd love that. But we have to keep the whole thing in context, and the right needs to shut the fuck up about canceling Dr. Seuss because Dr. Seuss is not canceled. Every time something like this happens, we can't look at it through a nuanced, nuanced lens. You have somebody crying racism and somebody crying cancel culture, and it drives me the fuck crazy, man. Like, shut the fuck up. Like, let's have a discussion about this. And what I hope I've done today is shown you, yeah, some things are problematic. And also, he hated Hitler. And he hated anti-Semitism. And I'm sure later on in his life when he was writing books that talked about inclusion and equality, that he had probably changed his ways a little bit because he seemed like a very progressive dude for the time. And to me, if we look at his actual history of his life, and how it seemed that he evolved, there's probably a lot that we can learn from the way that he shifted his views in a way that were incredibly unpopular at the time. But at the end of the day, 
He was OG anti-fascist and anti-anti-Semitism. And he stood up for that. And he used his craft, his art, his gift to share that message. And then turned that into children's books that we all grew up enjoying. And they were in every school, in every kindergarten, regardless of how good of a school, how shitty of a school it was, you had Dr. Seuss. Don't lose respect for the guy over some silly bullshit. I understand. It's offensive. Let's keep it in context. Let's accept the nuance. And let's respect people's decisions to do what they think is best, who actually knew the man. And the right-wing snowflakes, shut the fuck up. There's no way we can do a show without discussing Trump's speech at CPAC. We're going to give you the the three-minute version because the whole thing was a lot to handle. Um, but interesting nonetheless. And I feel like he did a pretty decent job. We'll, 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 we'll discuss. Let's get into it. President of the United States, Donald J. Trump. Do you miss me yet? Do you miss me yet? A little bit. I'm going to continue to fight right by your side. We will do what we've done right from the beginning, which is to win. Win. We're going to win. We're not starting new parties. Oh. You know, they kept saying, he's going to start a brand new party. We have the Republican Party. He does have the Republican Party (laughs) by the balls. It's going to unite and be stronger than ever before. I am not starting a new party. Many people have asked, what is Trumpism? A new term being used more and more. I'm hearing that term more and more. I didn't come up with it. It means low taxes and eliminating job-killing regulations, Trumpism. It means strong borders. It means no riots in the streets. It means law. Be careful with the riots in the street thing and the law and order bit. You kind of, you kind of burned that bridge, home dog. Law enforcement. It means very strong protection for the Second Amendment and the right to keep and bear arms. It means support for the forgotten men and women who have been taken advantage of for so many years, and they were doing great. And it means a strong military. And of course, we respect our great American flag. He loves this. He eats this shit right up. You know, when you think about we love you, you're saying that about, I hate to say it, am I a politician? I don't know. Maybe I'm a politician. I hate to to admit it, but that's really, it's an honor that you would say it. We believe in patriotic education and strongly oppose the right. Patriotic education is a fucking terrible, terrible terrible idea that is what's gotten us here in the first place what you need is an honest history course in high school and elementary school i don't know wherever history starts to matter it needs to be honest not patriotic that's propaganda make sense radical indoctrination of america's youth horrible we embrace free thought we stand up to political correctness And we reject left-wing lunacy, and in particular, we reject cancel culture. This election was rigged 
and the Supreme oh, Court and other courts didn't want to do anything about it. We need election integrity and election reform immediately. Republicans should be the party of honest elections that can give everyone confidence in the future of our country. Without honest elections, who has confidence? Who has confidence? That's true. With your help, we will take back the House. We will win the Senate. And then a Republican president will make a triumphant return to the White House. And I wonder who that will be. I wonder who that will be. All right. Well, that's Trump's uh, cliff notes. Now, he hinted to running again. Of course, we all knew that was coming. Um, the announcement of not creating a third party, I'm sure that's something he considered. Uh, but he owns, like I said, he has the Republican Party by the balls here, which is not a great stance for progress. But when it burns itself out, you know, in the next, I don't know, eight or nine or ten years, um, they could be okay. Okay, they can rise from the ashes like a phoenix or some shit. So this speech went full on leaning into the culture war. And this is something that Ben Shapiro said the other day that I thought was really uh, insightful or I don't know if he's very insightful, but accurate at least. Um, culture war is politics now. Culture war is politics. Because they've succeeded in distracting us with a bunch of bullshit to keep us from focusing on the real problems. And it's, it's actually a great strategy. If we just sit here into the culture war thing back and forth on stuff that we'll never agree on, right, and we stay focused on that versus the real problems, the systemic problems, well, we go nowhere. We just keep, we're at each other's throats until we tear each other apart, and you have, uh, you know, states breaking up and eventually the whole country falling apart over a culture war instead of focusing on the, the very popular issues that could be addressed. But instead, we're going to go racism, we're going to go cancel culture, we're going to go da 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 And, of course, all of those things are actual problems, but we're at each other's, uh, at each other's throats of, over them instead of being um, constructive and creating solutions to those problems. And he leaned into all of that with the cancel culture, second amendment. He talked, uh, it's not in this clip, but he talks about, um, trans women competing against biological women in sports. That's going to be a big issue that, that anybody on the democratic side is going to have a hard time. I b honestly believe that they have a hard time being honest about their opinions because the cultural narrative is so strong on that side of the aisle. Uh, even though most liberals I know are pretty, have pretty common sense takes on the fact that there is a huge advantage to being a trans woman, uh, competing against it's biological women, but that's going to be a common talking point because that's an executive order that Biden signed and is part of uh, HR five, the, the equality act. So really trippy to see this whole thing happen. He was kind of peak Trump at CPAC. Like that's a very Trumpy situation there. And, and in the straw poll, he, they said that 55% uh, of people want him to be the candidate would vote for him. When you take him out of the straw poll, then Ron DeSantis won overwhelmingly. Uh, but those things don't mean very much. They don't have a very strong correlation with who the actual candidate of the Republican party is going to be. Um, but we we're here nonetheless. So interesting stuff. I think 55% is actually kind of low, but it's still a majority uh, given what's going on and people are kind of belittling that. But every time you belittle this guy, every time you put this guy on the defense, he wins. He wins off the ropes every time because the Democrats are terrible 
at attacking like that. They attack the worst things because they can't attack the actual egregious things about conservatives because that's where they overlap. They actually agree on the things that are terrible for us and they disagree on things that are not that important. It's a fucking mess, but he came back. He came out strong. I thought he might avoid the election fraud stuff or just kind of allude to it. Nope, went straight in. Fraudulent election. He's, he's going to pick, he picked that hill to die on. Maybe it'll work for him. Maybe it won't. But this guy, the Trump, if you think the Trump era is over, and he discussed Trumpism there, which is basically just like standard conservative talking points. It wasn't anything spectacular. Um, if you think that that era is over, the Trump era is over, you are sadly, sadly mistaken. I've said it several times in the show. I said it during the election. The Trump era is just got started in 2016. Okay. There's no end in sight. And if the Democrats don't get their shit together, we've got a long way to go. I think that that's actually less likely. I think the most likely thing is that some kind of Republican will come out of the woodworks with some pragmatic solutions that's actually relatively honest uh, as far as politicians go and can steal that party away. I'd like for that to be Josh Hawley. I'm actually becoming quite a Josh Hawley fan, even though his the, – the Trump stuff, you got to – I feel bad for these people that have to, like, placate the Trump thing. Because if otherwise they're they're gone. They're done. Like look at Liz Cheney. Done. So here we are. Interesting to talk about. Fun stuff. And now it's that time of the show. Where I give you something to think about. All right. Pretty quick one today, I think. We'll see. I might go off the rails. Who knows? As I was just alluding to with the culture war, the culture war has kind of become everything. Right? I mean, that's that's where most of the focus goes. That's where most of the mainstream media goes. It's culture war, culture war, Dr. Seuss, uh, white supremacy, you know, digging up things from the past, throwing those out there, Democrat-run states and COVID. It's just like the whole thing is just culture war. And COVID has been a, an incredible kind of catalyst to even more of that. It's, it's extrapolated it. Now it's masks. Now it's vaccinations. Now it's whatever, right? And you, it, it's hard to pick a position, as I generally do, where I take pieces from both sides uh, that I genuinely agree with and and kind of stick to those, but I'm also willing to change my mind. Like that's that's I understand that's a rare position. That's why I sit in front of a fucking microphone for a few hours a week. Um, and I love doing it. Uh, that being said, when you think about the culture war becoming politics or the politics becoming culture war, that means that you can now attach um, racism or white supremacy uh, or ending one of those two things to every policy that you decide that you want to push through. And it's just like naming something uh, the Patriot Act or the Equality Act or whatever, fill in the blank with some other act. Um, those things that sound really nice and good and, 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 and flirt with freedom in a way generally end up fucking us over. And I think when you see a bill be trying to be passed that has some kind of um, really fluffy hearts and rainbows type language, those are the ones to be scared of. 
And when you look at things that are going to be shoved in, this is what happens in 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 DC is that they'll try and slip some things in there under the guise of it being very well intentioned. And that becomes policy, that becomes law, that becomes something that we have to abide by. And I'm curious out there for all of you, and this is kind of how I think about things, what does it mean for our policy decisions going forward when you can leverage something like systemic racism or white supremacy or et cetera, fill in the blank, equality, to hide behind, when you can use that as your shield to pass legislation, does that actually give us a more democratic environment? Does that actually honor what this country is about? And I can say the same thing about words like patriot, right? I think that this kind of language is used to mislead or manipulate people more than it is to represent the actual ideas that are hiding behind that language. So what does that mean for us when legislation has to do with perception more than substance? It's just something to think about. Thanks for being here today, guys. I appreciate you. If you want more wanders, more for the politically homeless, head over to the Politically Homeless Patreon. Get involved in the conversation. Topic requests from the community for the community every week. I think I'll be doing one tomorrow, maybe the next day. Who knows? Until next time, keep your head on straight. Love you. Bye-bye.